Cottywample with the Shadow People is a narrative podcast about friendship, magic, mystery, and the divine feminine. This podcast sometimes deals with topics of a sensitive nature, so listener discretion is advised. There is a storm rolling in. She wears overalls and a black hat over mauvine hair. She has packed her entire life into a suitcase and a knapsack but she keeps the untold stories of everyone she meets in a small leather purse that hangs at her waist. She is flying on winds that carry her to a place where she used to cottywomple with the shadow people. Episode 5, The Storm Woman Rolls In Aradia was a storm woman, but she had been raised in a house of moon women. The moon women taught her all the things that they could teach her. They taught her to dance, they taught her to sing, they taught her how to treat a colicky baby, they taught her how to read cards... They taught her how to charm the locals who might have otherwise been frightened of what they called a shadow person. They taught her how to help those who sought guidance. However, the moon women did not teach her to dance as if the wind was carrying her feet off the ground. They did not teach her to sing with a voice like raindrops on a rooftop. They did not teach her the haunting melodies she used to lull infants to sleep. They did not teach her to command the attention of every person in the room with her thunderous disposition. They did not teach her to flash her lightning green eyes at those whom she did not trust. And they did not teach her to use her tarot cards to glean every minute detail from a curious querent. No, the moon women did not teach her those things, because only a storm woman could possess those abilities. Aradia's mother had been a moon woman. She was a mysteriously beautiful lady with amber eyes and long gray hair. All the women in their family went gray prematurely. Aradia wasn't ready to go gray in her teens, so she tinted her hair with purple mauvine powder mixed with pomade. But her mother wore her silver tresses like a crown. After she died, Aradia didn't quite feel at home with the women who raised her. The moon women never trusted the man who fathered her, and some of that distrust inevitably spilled over to their young charge. And though her father was a prominent businessman in town, the denizens had an open disdain for the child of a shadow person. When Aradia's mother had passed, she felt as if she did not belong anywhere. She was too stormy for the women at the chateau, and too shadowy for the townspeople who were afraid of the dark. So one night, when she was sure the whole chateau was asleep, she packed all of her belongings into a suitcase and a knapsack, and crept down the stairs to the back door. Before her hand could reach the doorknob, she heard a crotchety voice behind her say, "'Surely you ain't leaving without these!' Aradia turned around to see Minerva standing behind her, holding up her tarot cards. 
Her words caught in her throat, and her eyes started to well in the panic of being caught. Minerva walked over and put a hand on her cheek. Minerva was kind to her. She acted as her surrogate grandmother. Aradia could tell that she was a little bit hurt by her midnight flight, but Minerva tried not to let on. My sweet girl, the moon women will always love you. They just don't understand you. Now the townspeople, they don't understand you either, but they don't love you quite as much. (laughs) You go and try to find what you're looking for, and come back when you need to. You'll always have a bed as long as I'm here. Minerva grabbed a small leather purse from the hallway closet and placed the cards inside of it before attaching the purse to Aradia's waist. She then pulled out some money from her own purse and forced it into the younger woman's hand. Aradia thanked her and kissed her cheek. Minerva reminded her of all the dangers and rules one must remember when walking through the forest before seeing her off. She watched Aradia walk to the edge of the meadow and through the trees until she couldn't see her anymore. She walked back into the house and did a quick sweep of the hallway. When she was sure that no one was around to see her, she let free the tears that she had been holding back. Five years later, Aradia was rolling back into town. She would come back about once a year when her money was scant and she needed to plan her next move. Minerva would give her a free place to stay while she made some petty cash reading cards at the local tavern, but she would never stay more than two weeks. She never entered town through the gate. She had been taught that the gate was bad luck. The moon women had told her that if she ever left town through the gate, she would change and not for the better. And if she ever came back to town through the gate, she would find that the town had changed for the very worse. No, Aradia would never enter town through the gate. She would take the back way through the forest, which was safer in a way, The forest path was safer if and only if she remembered the rules. Do you remember the rules, dear listener? Don't worry, we'll refresh your memory. Rule number one, say hello to the forest as you enter. Rule number two, only walk forward, do not turn around. Rule number three, do not wake the sleeping rock giants. Rule number four, pick up after your pet dog. Rule number five, You don't have to pick up after your pet bear. Rule number six. The forest might think you're a bit strange for walking your pet cat. I mean, who walks a cat? Rule number seven. If you walk between two touching trees or lover's trees, something in your life will change. This change may be drastic or inconsequential. Rule number eight. Do not stray from the path or the trees might decide to keep you as one of their own. Rule number nine. If you hear a sweet melodic voice calling your name, do not turn your head in the direction of the voice. If you do, you will belong to the voice. Rule number ten. If a fox starts following you, let him, because he may just tell you a joke. Aradia could recite these rules by rote. The moon women had drilled them into her head since the day she started walking, and these rules played on a loop in her mind as she stepped onto the path and politely greeted the forest. She steadily kept her feet moving forward, not even daring to look back. She did not have to worry about rules 4, 5, and 6 since she had no pets. 
As she tiptoed past the sleeping rock giants, she briefly wondered what they were dreaming about. One always seemed to be sleeping so soundly, its soft snore reverberated through the trees. The other one always seemed to be crying. Aradia wanted to wake it out of whatever unpleasant dream it was having, but that would be breaking the rule, and she could not afford to break any rules. So she kept walking, occasionally stopping to take a drink from her red canteen. She came across a pair of lover's trees. They took up the entire walkway, so she could not dodge them without getting off of the path. So she weighed her options. She could step off of the path and risk being taken by the forest, or she could walk through the lover's trees and risk something in her life changing. She glanced into the forest and saw what appeared to be a face carved into an oak tree staring back at her. But she knew the face wasn't carved. She decided to step through the lover's trees. Maybe the change won't be so serious, she thought to herself. She kept walking until she could see the break in the trees. She knew she was getting closer to the chateau. She almost made it to the edge of the woods when she heard it. A radio. A radio. A radio kept walking, picking up the pace ever so slightly. She did not run. It was never a good idea to run in the forest. A radio. The voice was now brushing against her ear. Aradia stopped walking. She did not move a muscle in fear that she may accidentally turn towards the voice. She stood still as a statue, waiting for the voice to go away. Oh, Aradia. The voice crooned as Aradia closed her eyes. Oh, Aradia, someday you'll break a rule, and then you'll be all mine. Aradia felt a gust of wind rush around her. She kept her eyes squeezed shut until she was sure the voice was gone. She slowly opened her eyes and marched forward without looking around. She took a swig from her canteen, not realizing that the red object had somehow turned blue. She could see the opening of the forest at the end of the path and ran as fast as she could. She breathed a sigh of relief as she made it past the forest's edge. She jumped when she felt something soft brush her leg. When she looked down, she saw a white fox staring up at her. The fox said, It's raining, it's pouring, the old man is snoring. He went to bed and bumped his head, but why could he not get up in the morning? Aradia shrugged. <laughs> because he was dead. <laughs> the forest rules never said anything about the fox telling a good joke. The short trek from the forest to the chateau could have been a bit more comfortable if Aradia had chosen to walk the dirt path, but she did not want to run the risk of coming near the crossroads or its caretaker, Hecate. She and Hecate hadn't spoken in a few years. The latter had not forgiven the storm woman for leaving in the middle of the night without so much as a goodbye. When Aradia came back that first year for her two-week stay, she was given a cold reception by the woman whom she considered to be her oldest friend. She couldn't really blame Hecate for her anger, but she still didn't want to run into her. She held off any feelings of regret by convincing herself that the few friends she had were better off without her. Even Jessie. But she did not want to think about Jessie right now. 
The chateau looked very much the same. Well, not exactly the same. It looked the way a mansion that only had one elderly resident should look. Not quite dilapidated, but it had seen better days. As Aradia trotted up the back walkway, she felt a sense of peace threatening to settle in her stomach. She quickly pushed the feeling away. She could not afford to let herself get too comfortable here. Two weeks and that's it, she reminded herself. She walked up to the back door and attempted to open it. Locked? Minerva always sensed when she was coming and kept the back door open for her. She looked under the flower pots for a spare key but found nothing. She rummaged through her knapsack, hoping that her old house key was somewhere at the bottom. A sigh of relief escaped her when her fingers touched metal. She pulled the key out and opened the door. Minerva, I'm back! She waited a moment but heard no response. She looked for her in the kitchen but found it empty. She walked up to her bedroom and found it not only vacant but also completely changed. It was redecorated and she did not recognize any of the personal items as Minerva's. Minerva had not redecorated in nearly 20 years. Aradia was beginning to get worried. She ran out to the garden, hoping to see that sweet, crotchety woman in her element. She once again found no sign of her. She started to panic and assume the worst when she heard a concerned voice coming from the porch. Can I help you? Aradia turned to see a copper-haired woman staring at her in bewilderment. The woman was sitting on one of the rocking chairs holding a mug of still-steaming liquid. Aradia could smell the lavender tea even while standing a few feet away. Who are you? The storm woman half-yelled. Who are you? I live here! The copper-haired woman looked confused. Since when? Since I was born? Well, I've been here almost six months, and I've never seen you before. (laughs) Aradia paused for a moment. She asked the lady if she was a moon woman. When the woman struggled to answer, Aradia asked her where Minerva was. The woman told her that she had gone to live with her daughter across town. She introduced herself as Lilith and said that she was the new midwife and caretaker of the chateau. She then repeated her initial question. Can I help you? Well, I grew up here, and I travel a lot, and I come back here once a year to stay with Minerva. Oh, well, I can give you her new address. Lilith scribbled it down on a piece of paper. I'll go see her, but I would prefer to stay in my own home. Lilith shifted uncomfortably. I'm sure we could work something out. I could let you stay for $50 a week. Aradia blanched. Though she was always happy to see the woman, whom she considered her grandmother, part of the allure of coming back was not being expected to pay for room and board. She had no money to give this new caretaker, but rather than divulging her indigence, she became defiant. I'm not paying money to stay in my own home. Lilith was taken back, but she stood her ground. If this is truly your home, then where have you been? Rather than answering, Aradia snatched the paper with Minerva's new address, grabbed her bags, and stormed off the property. Aradia half ran across town to Minerva's new home, anger brewing with every step. How dare this false moon woman stick her nose where it does not belong? How dare Minerva hand the keys over to a relative stranger? She grumbled the entire way down the road and up the stone walkway of the pink house where Minerva now lived. She knocked on the door a bit harder than was necessary. The door opened and there stood the beautiful, partially paralyzed face of Dr. Garter, Minerva's only daughter.
Aradia, she smiled, though only one side of her mouth turned up. It's been a while. How can I help you today? Aradia greeted the town's therapist and inquired about Minerva. The woman led her to the den where Minerva sat playing a game of solitaire. The older woman looked up and smiled. I was wondering when you were going to come see me. Aradia did not return the smile. I would have seen you sooner if you had been at the chateau. Minerva snickered, willing to entertain the indignant young woman. I take it you met Lilith. How could you sell the chateau? The chateau is its own entity and cannot be owned by any one person, Minerva said in a mock serious tone. It needed a caretaker and I ain't no spring chicken anymore, girly. Aradia tried to hide her hurt. You could have asked me. And how could I have reached you? I had no numbers to call and no address to write to. Aradia knew Minerva had a point, so she switched tactics. She wants me to pay to stay in my own home. Minerva stood up and placed her hands on her hips. Are you going to spend our reunion complaining, or are you going to tell me about your travels over a cup of lavender tea? Aradia begrudgingly followed her into the kitchen and sat down at the table. As they drank their tea, she regaled her grandmother with stories of dance halls she worked in and the children she babysat. She talked about the fascinating people she met and which ones caught her eye. She told her about the town she visited and how the destinations never quite lived up to the journey. When she felt like she had had monopolized enough of the conversation, she asked Minerva how she was enjoying her new home. It's different. It's taken some getting used to. But my girl and I are getting reacquainted, so that makes it all worthwhile. It also eases my mind to know that I left the chateau in good hands. There were a few moments of tense silence after that, but Minerva broke it by saying, Go back to the chateau, girly. I'm afraid there's no room for one more here, and frankly, I have a feeling that you'll get along better with Lilith than you think. Aradia groaned, but smiled half-heartedly as Minerva reached over and squeezed her hand. She kissed Minerva's cheek and promised she would come by again later that week. On the trek back to the chateau, the air around Aradia was filled by a familiar sound, a sound that she had grown to love in her 25 years of life, whispers. Every town she had lived in looked a little different and smelled a little different. Hell, they even tasted kind of different, but they all sounded the same. The whispers seemed to follow her wherever she went. When she was a child, she had tried to drown them out by singing songs and reciting dirty limericks as loudly as she could. But that only made the whispering worse. She had tried so hard to shut them out until the day her mother taught her a special trick. The trick, she said, is not to ignore them, but to listen. I don't mean you should listen to the inane chatter of small-minded townspeople. I mean, you should listen to the sound of the whisper. So Aradia listened, and the more she listened, the more the hushed tones turned into a soft breeze. The more she listened, the more the hisses and snickers turned into the pitter-patter of rain. The more she listened, the more the heavy heartbeats of scandal-hungry gossip mongers turned into thunderclaps. Eventually, the whispers turned into a song that she could dance to, and she had no need to drown them out. So with jaunty steps, she made her way to the big green house and the copper-haired woman. She found Lilith sitting on the porch, staring intently at the inside of her teacup. She looked up 
and the two women locked eyes for a moment that stretched on for far too long. Eventually, Aradia walked up to the porch steps and plopped down in the rocking chair next to her. After a few minutes of awkward silence, the two women stumbled over their apologies. Aradia apologized for her rudeness, and Lilith apologized for her terseness. After a few more seconds of quiet, Aradia asked Lilith how she came to be the caretaker. After she told her story, Aradia's eyes lit up with recognition. You're the doctor's wife! I knew I recognized you! Ex-wife, Lilith said sharply. He's got a pretty new lady and I've got a pretty new lease on life. Sounds like you got the better end of the deal. <laughs> Lilith's expression grew grave and her voice filled with contempt. You'd think that, but midwifery ain't been as fruitful as I thought it'd be. The good doctor has turned the entire town against me. He's saying I'm growing poisonous herbs in my garden. I haven't delivered a baby in nearly two months. That's why I asked for the fifty dollars. I'm having trouble making ends meet. Aradia sat and listened to her new friend's plight. After a few moments, she knew what she had to do. She wordlessly flew into the house so fast Lilith barely had any time to register her sudden absence. Ten minutes later, the prodigal storm woman emerged with her berry-stained hair gathered up in a messy yet sophisticated updo. She had applied heavy dark eye makeup and red, almost purple lipstick. She wore a long black and orange lace duster over a black satin nightie that could only pass for a dress if you squinted. She clutched the leather pouch that held her cards tightly in one hand. You want that fifty dollars? I'll get you that fifty dollars. As Aradia strolled away, she pulled a card from her pouch. The Four of Wands. The Card of Homecoming. Kadiwampa with the Shadow People was created and performed by Shay Lee and edited by Jonathan Strickland. Special thanks to Lucas Ryan and Jenny Milam. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music.